Transferring wealth successfully starts with asking yourself questions that will give your family a better life now and for generations to come. In this podcast, financial professionals John and Michael from Copper Beach Financial Group guide you through eye-opening questions to help you discover the truth about your wealth. Now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to The Truth About Wealth with John and Michael Priest of Copper Beach Financial Group. John, how are you today? I'm doing great, sir. How are you? I'm doing fantastic, Michael. I know you are here as well and as excited as I am about a return guest, right? Oh, I certainly am. Mr. Dietrich, <laughs> yes. That's right. Paul Dietrich back in the house. Uh, John, why'd you bring Paul back to the show? Yeah, we wanted Paul to come back and we'd probably do this annually with Paul. He's not only a dear friend, but a great colleague. And he always has a wonderful perspective on what's going on, not only in the markets, but globally, politically. And I thought we'd have him back and, and give us a big update uh, now that we're into 2022 on not what happened in 21, but now into 22. And I think he's got a wonderful perspective. But Paul, before we jump into that, you've had some changes in the last uh, year or so. So why don't you introduce the audience, what your role is with B. Riley? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm now the chief investment strategist for uh, B. Riley Wealth Management. We oversee uh, helping to manage about $33 billion in client assets. Uh, we're a publicly traded company. Fortune magazine ranked us the second fastest growing company in the wow. United States in 2021. Our stock price doubled last year. So we're all very, very happy. And as you know, I've been an international corporate attorney my, my biggest client was the World Bank for a long time, and I've been managing investment strategies since 1999. Uh, and I'm also an analyst and appear regularly on Fox Business News and uh, CNBC. Yeah, I enjoy your, your shows. You do a great job. Let's jump in, Paul. Um, let's start with what happened in 21, 2021? I know a lot of um, folks are interested in hearing um, a perspective. So you want to give us an update on what occurred and where we're moving to? Yeah, you know, it, it, it's 2021 was a funny year in that if you look at all the, the business polls, investors were just depressed. And I think it was a combination uh, of COVID, all the restrictions, all of that. I know one Fox business poll said about 70% of investors thought 2021 was a bad year for the economy and the country. 55% uh, felt it was a bad year personally for them and their families. Hmm. And about 54% uh, were of investors were pessimistic about the future uh, of the US. Normally, Americans are pretty pretty optimistic people. And part of it might have been the January 6th uh, insurrection, the political, there's not much bipartisanship uh, in the United States. But I, it was a combination of inflation and January 6th and politics and just people are tired of COVID and want it over. Um, and so I think that colored investors' views of what was happening. But if you look at it like me as an analyst, 2021 was one of the most spectacular economic recoveries and one of the most spectacular years 
uh, for the economy. I mean, we broke one record after another. The unemployment rate in 2021 dropped from 6.3% to 3.9%. Uh, U.S. job openings were at all-time highs. Uh, anyone who wants to work can find a job. Uh, U.S. wages and salaries are, were rising dramatically, especially for Americans in the lower income brackets. GDP increased by 5.7%, which was the highest GDP, I think, since uh, the Reagan administration in 1980. The value of U.S. homes was at a record high. The value of U.S. household savings was at a record high. Total net worth of U.S. households was at an all-time high. And again, remember, if your house is at an all-time high and the stock market was hitting one all-time high after another, that's where most people's wealth, their retirement accounts, their IRAs and, and other accounts, and, and their homes, that's where the their wealth is. And so people have never been richer. Uh, re for all that they were talking about the supply chain and, uh, and all the problems with Christmas retail sales, retail sales ended up being at an all-time ever high. They were up 8.5% from 2020, but they were 11% over pre-pandemic 2019 and I know people were worried about not getting stuff because of the supply chain uh, backups, but didn't seem to bother a lot of consumers. <laughs> they maybe got something else uh, that they wanted. We do expect the Federal Reserve, uh, because of inflation, to start uh, raising its interest rates. But we're expecting three quarter point interest rate raises this year, which will bring us between uh, almost to 1%. Now, 1% as an interest Federal Reserve rate is got to be one of the lowest of all times. It doesn't begin to cover inflation. Uh, 1%, nobody's going to leave the stock market to go into a bond that's up 1% over the almost nothing that they're paying now. The other thing, corporate profits were the largest since 1950 and corporate debts the lowest in 30 years. The S&P 500 uh, total return with dividends was up 28.7%. The Dow was up 20.9%. And the NASDAQ was up 22.18%. Anytime you can get 20 plus yeah. percent, you're doing well. And so... It was overall just a spectacular year. And that was with the drag of inflation. That was with the drag of labor shortages. It was with the drag of the supply chain. I mean, think if we could figure out how to fix those three things of what the economy would have done last year would have blown everyone's mind. Yeah, so COVID was the culprit then. I, I could read into your, your thought here. If people are just in that, mindset that it's it's something they have to deal with and it demotivated them to do things and they weren't traveling maybe as much and like it was in 2020. You mentioned inflation. I know that people get always get confused of the CPI and what it really means. Now they talk about the rate being, I believe 6.9% was the last time they they talked about it a month ago. But we know that eliminates 
your commodities and oil and gas and, and food. So that's really not a real number. Am I correct at that? Well, what's the real inflation rate that people are really getting hit with? Um, yeah. <laughs> I know the I put real, you in the box, Paul. Yeah, the, <laughs> that's, no, no, that's no, the no. challenge I, people have. They, what's the real inflation rate? Like, you're yeah, hearing the, a lot of different stories about it. Yeah, the audience it, might know. Might want to know your perspective. December, the inflation rate actually hit a uh, high since the 1980s uh, of seven percent. We actually went seven percent, but that was total inflation. the The Federal Reserve uses what's called core inflation, which is a little over 5% right now. And that excludes food and energy, gasoline. But <laughs> let's face it, right. th those have been the two things that have gone up the most. Exactly. It's the things people buy every week. You got to buy food. You got to buy energy. And so probably the real inflation rate is 7%. But the last, um, the last report that came out, I started digging into all the minutia uh, in that 30-page report, and it's clear that it's gasoline and food that's really going up. If farmers are having to pay like 200% more for fertilizer, they're having to pay two or three times more for getting a shipping container to get their food, and they can't find labor uh, to help them on the farm, especially in California, where they're plowing under fields of vegetables and fruits because they just can't get the labor. So all of that stuff is adding to inflation. And I don't think I think we're going to see high food prices continuing through most of this year. Energy is going to continue. I just looked at the analyst projections for energy companies, and they're expecting uh, we're at 88 bucks a barrel right now for oil, and we're expecting a 45% uh, increase in earnings for energy companies in the S&P 500 this year. So that means we could see over $100 a barrel yeah. uh, gasoline, and that's going to translate to higher natural gas prices and, and higher uh, gas prices or gas at the pump prices. Uh, and if, in fact, Russia does uh, invade Ukraine, that's going to that's increase worldwide natural gas prices all over the world. Now, the good news is the U.S. is the largest oil and natural gas producer in the world. So it, it could very well have a good effect on the stock market, but it is going to be just lousy for consumers. The good news is that a lot of inflation that was caused by the supply chain backups and the lack of drivers, and we didn't. Uh, we had sent a lot of shipping containers to China, and now we've had to get them back again. There was a mismatch uh, on needs here. Is that when you get into the weeds, you're seeing that a lot of other things that were causing production shutdowns during the pandemic and uh, short supplies and bottlenecks that those are starting to get worked out. 
And I've noticed that a lot of prices are starting to come down, uh, container prices. And in looking at all of this, I think that we're going to see that uh, we're going to see gas prices and food prices through the end of this year. Another problem with farmers is, and this is something, it's a dirty little secret. Nobody wants to talk about it. It's uh -oh. unpleasant. <laughs> is that a lot of farmers had to kill off uh, a lot of young animals because they just couldn't afford to keep them during the lockdown. They couldn't get food for them. And you just can't automatically start back fully grown cows. It, it, it's going to take a, a year or two for those cows to get to the point where they can be sent to market again. So we have real shortages in wow. meat. And never, never it's something that. a lot of people don't think about that it's what were they going to do? Um, but there are an awful lot of other things that are going down. And so I think by the end of this year, we're going to see about 5% inflation. And people are looking at, at about 35 to 4% in 2023. And if you look at the bond markets, I, most investors, they've priced what we call the 10-year yield. You know, uh, it's... It, it, Clearly, they believe that that we're going to be going down to the five and and four percent uh, inflation from seven percent, but it's not going to be till the end of the year, and that's still almost double the two point five percent inflation we had going into COVID in in early twenty twenty. Paul, one of the things that you mentioned is employment. I, I and I can't for the life of me figure out why people aren't going back to work. I know you have a, a little bit of thought on that. Uh, is it, is it, what are your thoughts on why people aren't working? There's so many, so much opportunity out there and they choose not to work. Or is it the baby boomers retiring? And that's part of the equation, I would assume as well, right? That is. Uh, yeah. A lot of people have decided because, the, as I said, people have never been wealthier. Their houses are at the highest ever, the retirement uh, funds are at high ever. So a lot of baby boomers have just decided it's time to retire. A lot of them were working well into their 70s because they were healthy. Um, and that's a big issue. The second big issue is a lot of women, they had to, they basically, when their kids came home from COVID, they had to take care of their kids. And that's still a big problem. A lot of women have not re-entered the workforce because we're having about, up until recently, we're having 12 to 1,500 schools closed down for two weeks uh, or so. And parents don't know whether their kids are absolutely going to be staying in school or they're going to have to be at home with them. You don't want to go out and get a job and commit to being working when you have to take care of your kids. And COVID, we've got, we literally have to get control of COVID and we've got to get everybody vaccinated. And I know that's a hot political issue, but until we get real herd immunity, um, meaning 80, 90% of everybody is vaccinated. So even if they do get it, they're not going into the hospitals um, and they're not dying. That's, we've, we're never going to have the economy going at full blast like everybody wants it to un until that happens. And there are just millions of women who just, they want to go back to the workplace. It's not that they want to stay at home teaching their kids, but they have, somebody's got to take care of them. 
And so that's a big issue. The third issue is that as of the beginning of last month, we had about 11 uh, million uh, job openings. Let me just see. I want to make sure my figures were yeah, right. That's the number I heard. 11 yeah, we had 11 million job openings and we had about 6.3 million people who were technically unemployed. Hmm. Now that leaves a gap of 4.7 million people. And I don't care how much you raise wages, you're not going to magically create 4.7 million workers to fill those jobs. And historically, we've dealt with this before. After the Civil War, uh, men from the, the, the North and the South, so many of them were lost in that war. And when the boom came after the war, we had to really open up immigration. And so we that's when a lot of the Italians and the Germans and Jews and uh, uh, Irish came over right after the Civil War. We had the same problem after World War I and the Spanish flu. We had lost so many people and we had another huge wave of immigration that came into the United States. And, we, and after World War II, too, we had a big wave of immigration. Now, what's happened was that President Trump, he not only really closed down a lot of people coming across the border illegally, but when COVID came, and, I, and a lot of people understand this, he completely stopped uh, legal immigration, or almost completely stopped legal immigration. And legal immigration is when a person comes to the U.S. embassy in their country and they go through a, a long vetting process. Sometimes they have to wait 10, 8, 10 years to be able to come to the United States and get in line uh, to become a citizen and get a work uh, permit. And But we know that they don't have a criminal record. We know that they can speak English, all of that stuff that goes through the vetting process. But unfortunately, there are only about 3 million people around the world who have applied for legal immigration. So we don't, even if we were to open up all of the people who are waiting to get into the country legally, who have been vetted, we still wouldn't have enough people to cover all the jobs that are available. And uh, it's been interesting in that President Biden has kept Trump's policies of not allowing legal immigrants to come into the country. And uh, there, are, there are trade associations of businesses, the National Association of Manufacturers, a lot of trade associations for farmers, and the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. They're all screaming, you got to let more immigrants into the country, especially legal immigrants, because we need them. Uh, to have a fully functioning economy, to take all these jobs that we've created. And, um, and the unions are opposed to it. And Biden, I think, doesn't want to be hammered with letting legal immigration increase before the elections uh, this year. For all sorts of political reasons, we're not doing something about this. We're ignoring it. And my fear is that when pressure becomes really big from the business trade associations, I'm afraid that the, uh, the easiest thing, because they don't need congressional authorization, they would need it for letting in all the legal immigrants, but they, um, is, that, is that this administration might start 
allowing in a lot of illegal immigrants. And I think that's a disaster in that we'd all prefer that people be vetted and we know who's coming across the border. Um, so that's where we are. Now, the other thing I, you should put this all in context because the problem we have in the United States is we have too many jobs for too few people. Now, do you realize that, that every other country in the world would love to have that problem? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> too many jobs and too few people. I mean, in a way, we are really lucky to have to struggle with this problem. But unfortunately, our politicians are not doing a very good yeah, job. Yeah, I, I was just going to say that, Paul. I hear politicians that talk, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to create jobs. And I'm going, what? <laughs> we, have, right. we need people. We have plenty of jobs. So I get a little confused on their no, pitch I, about I, that. I do too. I used to hear Trump talk about that he was going to move manufacturing yeah. back to the United States. And I kept saying, oh my God, we don't have enough people to work in manufacturing that's there now, let alone creating new ones. Well, is the, Paul, is there any, uh, I think I know the answer to this, is there any political will to, maybe not this year, but in the near future to help with that, to increase Legal immigration, as you put it, being the solution maybe to this problem? Again, uh, it's not a complete solution because there's not enough people who have applied right. to, to and gone through the vetting process. Even if we took 100% of them in this year, we'd still have job op- a lot of job openings. And uh, so that's a problem. Obviously, if we could solve COVID and get everyone vaccinated, that would bring in a lot of women back into the market, and we need them desperately. Um, So that would help. uh, And if we had legal immigration, but really, you've got the unions on one side that really don't want uh, legal immigration, because they just feel there would be downward pressure on wages uh, if that happened. But I think in the end, uh, it's going to be the business associations and the business trade associations. They're the only people that can put pressure on both the Democrats and the Republicans, because the Republicans have been just as staunchly against immigration because they feel that their constituents can't distinguish between legal and illegal. And so they think it's going to hurt them at the polls. And Republicans have been just as bad on this as Democrats have been. Yeah, Paul, what are your thoughts about, I, I, I read a lot of, about our technology explosion in all sectors with obviously faster computers and chips are getting better. And so our, our shift now is we're becoming more of a I guess our education system, I'm not sure if it's supporting the jobs we need for the future in this high growth technology world. Do you see a lot of that pushback or you see a lot of the issues around that? Yeah, most people still think of the U.S. economy like it was back in the 60s and it's 70s. Not. It's totally different. It's not, definitely not. We've become the largest energy producer in the world for both natural gas and oil. And yet in 1980, the energy sector made up 17% of the S&P 500. It now makes up 4%. Hmm. And we've yeah. become the largest in the world, but everything else has grown even faster. Right. And you look at in 1980, 
And think about the 1980s. You, you had IBM. This was two years before the first personal computer that came out in 1982. The internet wasn't created until Al Gore invented it in 1992. <laughs> uh, and, and Google didn't exist before 1999. In, in 1980, technology made up 4%, 4%. Uh, of the S&P 500 companies. Now it makes up 33%. Yeah. And manufacturing that was up in the 30s is now down in the mid-teens. So it's not your father's or grandfather's economy anymore. And uh, so technology is what's creating all the jobs. You think about all, all the jobs and, and how few people are in manufacturing uh, compared to having something to do with technology. And, you know, that's part of our problem with our, uh, our unemployment. We're at 3.7% unemployment. Most analysts now believe that's full employment. We've always had, you always have 1% to 2% of people uh, who are in between jobs, but they will have another job within six months. And then uh, th there's usually two to three percent that are just unemployable, uh, meaning that they can't run a McDonald's cash register or their English is so bad they, they can't do most jobs or uh, they can't answer a telephone. They're, they really are effectively unemployable. Yeah, I, I, I think that's going to be an ongoing issue unless we change, again, it, get back to your education, you hasn't changed in a while. We, yeah, we need it, to really get focused as a, as a society to push where the growth is from an education standpoint. I still hearing ladies and gentlemen going to college and studying fine arts or studying something that, although that might be their passion, I don't see it's a viable um, opportunity for a job. Some of them, right? I, I think I think that's shrinking because I, of the technology pushing that out. So we have to address that. And well, think, we do, but you know that that three four percent uh, unemployment rate. We we've had that since World War II. There's always been that that group of unemployable. But you're absolutely right. Our education system has not uh, kept up with the. The technology. And I say that as a person who was a philosophy major in college, <laughs> who came back and thought surely someone would hire me as a full-time philosopher to think. And I realized very quickly, I better get a law degree. Or I was going to starve to death. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the things that uh, there's something in the Washington Post last week that said the U.S. is experiencing a surge in worker productivity right now that uh, that COVID really created. I, I mean, we're going through over the tech boom, and as companies and and customers embrace new technologies and make it easier for America to produce more with fewer workers, a growing number of economists and analysts are saying this is not a blip and could turn into a boom. And it's partially been because of COVID and the lack of labor businesses have just learned how to be more efficient. One of the things is a lot of companies found that their employees were just as efficient working from home and that they didn't have to have a big office complex yeah. in a building. That's going to save a lot of money, makes people more productive. and that. But our education system, one of the things that 
uh, was going to be in uh, Biden's Build Back Better that actually a lot of Republicans over the years have supported was this concept of paying for free community college uh, for people who are going into trades. And if you think about it, let's face it, if you only have a high school degree in the United States and nothing else, um, it's highly likely that you're going to be in a dead-end job and that you're probably never going to make enough money to pay taxes. But if you could give people uh, a, a trade, and even if the government has to borrow money to pay for that two-year college, community college education, it's the best return on investment. There's been one study after another, even the Conservative Heritage Foundation uh, did a study that a person who comes out with a two-year associate degree and, and can immediately get a job that they can have for life they will pay so much more in taxes over their lifetime that it's the best return on investment that the government can have. And uh, so I was sorry something like that didn't pass. Yeah, that's a really interesting point, Paul. And uh, fortunately, I think we're running out of time for this session, but I know we're going to have you on uh, for part two of this. And, and you brought up the Build Back Better Act, which uh, we have covered on this podcast, at least more of the tax provisions of that. A good amount if you're a listener of our podcast. We've covered that a, a lot. So hopefully on the next session, we'll get into a little bit of maybe that outlook because I, I read that it's maybe dead. It's an election year. Maybe it's not dead. So I know you're going to have a lot of insight on that as well. So I want to thank you for being on today and we'll chat with you next session. Thank you, Paul. Thank you. Guys, this has been fantastic. Paul, I'm so glad you're back. Uh, just <laughs> you're brilliant. Obviously, that's why the guys bring you on. I learn a ton. I'm, I, I wish I could take notes as fast as I need to, but I, I know there's a rewind button. That's the beauty of podcasting. So, yeah, again, you've Paul, recorded it. That's right. And oh, yeah, we have it to record it. Uh, yeah. So I can sell it to you. <laughs> Real cheap. Yeah. I, I got podcasts here for you. Anyway, all right, Paul, thank you again so much uh, for being here. I'm, I'm looking forward to the next session. And of course, John and Michael, thank you so much for bringing him back on the show and bringing him back next time as well. But our last thank you is always reserved for you, the listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Truth About Wealth podcast with John and Michael Paris. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when John and Michael come out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it really easy to share these podcasts with your friends and family. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Copper Beach Financial Group, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Truth About Wealth podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Copper Beach Financial Group. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. This material is for informational purposes only. Neither APFS nor its representatives provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Please consult your own tax, legal, or accounting professional before making any decisions. Copper Beach is not affiliated with American Portfolios Financial Services, Inc. and American Portfolios Advisors, Inc. 
Securities offered through American Portfolio Financial Services, Inc., a member of FINRA SIPC. Investment advisory and financial planning services offered through American Portfolio Advisors, Inc., an SCC-registered investment advisor. These opinions are subject to change at any time without notice. Any comments or postings are provided for informational purposes only and do not constitute an offer or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or other financial instruments. Readers should conduct their own review and exercise judgment prior to investing. Investments are not guaranteed, involve risk, and may result in a loss of principal. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Investments are not suitable for all types of investors. Copper Beach is an unaffiliated entity of American Portfolios Financial Services, Inc. and American Portfolios Advisors, Inc. Any opinion expressed in this forum is not the opinions of American Portfolio Financial Services, Inc. and American Portfolio Advisors, Inc. and have not been reviewed by the firm for completeness or accuracy.